We get to the second point, returning blessing for evil. Um, so right after verse 8 is finished, <clears throat> followed up in verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise or the opposite, offer a blessing. So what are some things that first century Christians and even Christians today might be experiencing as far as this evil, this verbal evil? Examples of hostility are evil believers would endure... I'm sorry, examples of hostility or evil that believers would endure. There's got to be a comma in there somewhere, I'm sure. Insult, defamation of character, verbal abuse, and public shame are some things that they may have been experiencing. Again, I'm personally of the, the opinion, and I could be wrong, that it doesn't seem like with the writing of 1 Peter that the believers were yet experiencing straight-out physical abuse and martyrdom. It's coming. I'm personally out of the opinion that they're there yet, that they're generally enduring more just public shame, ostracization. Is that a word? It's hard to say. Yeah. But they're basically being shunned as outcasts and complete and utter weirdos, you know, in, in modern terminology. Peter instructs Christians to give up their rights to verbal retaliation that's necessary to defend their reputation. And again, go back to who are they supposed to emulate? Jesus, right? So he's saying you give up your right, and it might be your natural right to verbally retaliate. But Peter says, no, no, it's not your job to defend your reputation. Rather, refraining from retaliation wasn't even enough. So you could say, okay, I'll be tight-lipped like my mom said. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I can do that, okay? I got the first half of this verse down. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. But when we get to the next part, we move out of the conforming realm, and we move into the transforming realm. Because now, not only are we called not to not curse them, Christians are, are instructed to offer a blessing for a curse. And I'm not going to dig into it now just for sake of time, but read Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. It might give some insight to why Peter is teaching this to this church. He's drawing from the teaching of Christ himself. Do you think that's probably the case? I imagine everything that we're reading from you know, apostles like Peter and John and Paul are instruction that they received from Christ. So how can Jesus how can Jesus expect me to love my enemies if I don't like them? Um, you ever been there before? I don't like them. How am I supposed to show love to them? Well, loving in a modern culture generally refers to emotional attachment or feelings. Would you agree? Love's maybe not exactly in our mind what the Bible is instructing it to be. But Jesus commands us to love and what love is is to act righteously. Love as defined in the Bible is act righteously towards others or act towards your fellow human beings the way that God commands you to act. That's how you love someone is God says, so this interpersonal relationship between me and, me and Mike should be characterized by these traits, you know, kindness, peace, long-suffering, fruits of the Spirit, right? That's how I, according to the Scripture, show love to Mike. It's not just an affection. It's not just in a feeling. In fact, I don't even have to like Mike. But as far as the way God is commanding things, I can show love by just righteously um, engaging with fellow human beings the way that God calls us to act towards one another. A prime example would be what? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Again, I won't get into the time to read it. Many of you maybe have heard it at VBS, etc. You're familiar with the story. If you're not, I encourage you to read it. Luke 10, 25 through 37. But the Samaritans and the Jews had a class warfare. They did not like each other. It's like going to the Middle East and you have the Sunni-Shiite dynamic, you know, where you've got these tribal people 
No matter what you do, Palestinian Jewish dynamic, no matter what you do, there's so much deep-seated hatred and there's been so much rendering evil for evil. They don't like each other and they're not going to like each other and they're certainly not going to show love towards one another. That's where in the story of the Samaritan you find the Jew and this Samaritan. So you have this Jewish man who's lying on the side of the road who's been beaten. And every other person of his culture passes by, some just giving platitudes. But who's the one that stops and actually meets the need, both physically and then for the long term meets his need? It's a Samaritan, the person that's supposed to despise this man. And that's, I think, a really good um, explanation for how we're supposed to render blessing for evil. But here's what speaking a blessing is. Speaking a blessing, simply put, is to publicly speak well of someone. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? You got this person you don't like. They've already done something to you that made you mad. And you can't even not just be quiet and be like, there's marriages that have lasted 40 years because the couples just don't speak to each other. They've accomplished the don't render evil for evil. But now the word of God is saying, speak well of that person that you disdain. And you don't disdain them just because you disdain them because they've actually done something to cause you to be very upset with them. But Peter encouraged them not only to speak well of them publicly, but to take it to the next level, to pray God's favor on that person. That's not conforming. You and I, we cannot possibly discipline ourselves enough to make that happen with a genuine spirit of righteousness. We could fake it. I could leverage speaking good about somebody who spoke bad about me so that I look better, but we still missed it, haven't we? That's conforming. That's not transforming. I genuinely have to want to offer a blessing and righteously offer favor to this other person that in all naturally speaking, I shouldn't like at all. Then um, finally, the self-control required to accomplish this can only be a supernatural work of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree? Christ being formed in us, the Spirit of God working through us, fundamentally changing who we are so that these actions and these attitudes are even possible. Because without it, they're not possible.